following podcast is sponsored by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. I'm your host, Louis G. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener, Rocky, Independence Day, Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4, Rocky 5, Rocky Balboa, Avengers, Infinity War, Creed, Creed 2, Avengers, Endgame, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, Artificial Intelligence, Universal Soldier, and Universal Soldier 6, Day of Reckoning. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie every week and then try to determine which one is cooler, robots or dinosaurs. I'm your host, Louis G, and with me as always is my co-host, a new co-host every week. This week I'm talking to my friend, filmmaker, Stephen Rossetti. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Luigi. What's up? Not much, but I'm very excited to talk about the movie that we're unpacking today, the classic sci-fi film why don't you tell the audience which movie it is that we're going to be talking about in a very 80s movie um if you haven't seen it you're going to find out why you should see it in this discussion it's rocky four that's right the 1985 sylvester stallone directed and written film rocky four one of my favorite sci-fi movies uh, steven before we get into the movie itself can you tell sure. me just a little bit about your thoughts on robots and dinosaurs in general. Would you say that you're already going into this, a dino fan or a robo fan? Oh yeah, I'm very biased towards robots. So that's partly, partially why I picked this movie. But that's not to say donut, uh, donuts. Uh, dinosaurs aren't awesome. Just robots are that much cooler to me. All right, we've got a real robo fan on, on the <laughs> podcast today. And that's good because the movie we're talking about very heavily features robots, in my opinion. There are at least two robots in this movie that I would argue are very heavily featured. One of them is one of the main characters, and we're going to get into everything that they do and everything that we love about them. Steven, uh, I want to ask another general question. Sure. Did you grow up in a time when having a movie, like having a physical copy of media, was a cool thing? Because... Like then it meant you would go to a friend's house and then that was an, an event. We we're we're going to watch Independence Day tonight on Friday night. And we're looking forward to that because Jeff has it and like your Jeff's mm -hmm. parents bought it on DVD. Like, is that did you grow up in a time when that was still a thing? 100 percent. It was only recently when I was like thinking back to things of like how much movies were a part of my life. Watching a movie was an event for me always, whether it was in school, like an educational thing, whether it was my friends, I watched a lot of movies with my parents as well. Yeah, having, <laughs> funny enough, the first time I saw Rocky Four was not in the theater, not even on official VHS. It was on a Betamax tape because we had the uh, free preview, I think, of Cinemax or HBO or something. And my brother had taped it. And that's how I saw it. I saw this movie the first time with my cousins because... So the, another thing, like, with physical media was video games. And yes. they had... We both had Nintendo. I remember that. We both had a Nintendo system. Both my brother and me had one. And then also my cousins had one. But our parents would buy us different games. So mm. that way, when we went over to each other's places, like we'd bring our games, we'd trade, yep. we'd play with each other. And I remember they had the one game that I loved the most that I wish we had, which was Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. And I remember sitting in their basement, anytime we went over to my aunt's place, uh, sitting in their basement playing that game. And then one day they wanted to watch Rocky Four. 
And I didn't really know, I don't, I don't think I'd seen the other Rocky movies at that point, but they had it on VHS and we sat down and watched it. And I was immediately drawn into it. Cause I was like, Oh, this is like Mike Tyson's punch out. This is cool. So that was weirdly enough. My entry point into the Rocky series was a video game that was about boxing that then seeing this movie about boxing really drew me in. And when I found out it was the fourth one, it was very much like a Star Wars moment for me. I was like, oh my gosh, there's three prequels I can explore. <laughs> I have to go backwards now. Yeah. And then you <laughs> find out, wow, it's a little different than this movie. <laughs> a little bit, but there are things in this movie that come up, especially in Rocky and Adrian's relationship that yeah. Sylvester Stallone is a very, not very, but I do think he's an underrated writer and director. I think a lot of people don't even know that he wrote and direct uh, this movie. Definitely the first Rocky movie. Steven, do you know if he wrote and directed all of the Rocky movies? I think he did everything up until Balboa. Or Balboa, I don't know if he direct like what his capacity was, but he either directed or wrote it or something. But for five, or one through five, yeah, it's all him. Yeah, very much directly involved and also starring. And also, it can't be really uh, understated. No, it can't be overstated. Uh, That's the opposite of what I mean. It really can't be overstated how much dedication and time he must have put into his body to be ready for like looking like he does on screen. That's the other crazy part, too, is like, yes, we're, we're at this point, we're all familiar with the fact that Rocky was his breakout role and everything. But the backstory of him getting to the point of being able to make the film, like so many people turned him down, people like the story or the script rather, and wanted a specific other type of actor like Schwarzenegger types or something to play Rocky. But he was adamant about, no, I wrote this, I want to be in it. And somebody finally listened to him and the rest is history. Yeah. And, and it allowed him to make a lot of executive decisions about not only the character, but of the direction of the story. And I think that's what led to a lot of things that 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 happened later in the series. Like by the time we get to this this movie, which is the, the fourth sequel, um, well, the third sequel, but the fourth one in the series. By the time we get to this one, there are the evolution of certain characters has reached a point where we end up with a sexy talking robot. And we... Hmm. <laughs> I wonder who this is. Yeah. So, oh, man. I okay. I always like to to look at the opening shot of a movie. I, I like to I like to consider when we see the opening shot of a movie. What is the filmmaker trying to tell us? You know, whose whose perspective are we going to be in going forward? Right? You, you said you agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, as a, as a filmmaker, let me ask you this: If we the movie Infinity War, this is a really good litmus test for me. It's kind of what opened my eyes to this whole thing, this whole concept in, in filmmaking. Whose movie is Infinity War? Who's the protagonist? I'd say, I'd say it's Cap. Okay. Why? Why Cap? Well, actually, you can make the argument for Cap or Tony, but it, it's the idea that yeah, this is a second part of a movie's storyline, but it's. I, I say this because it's the end of a, a character arc for those two. I say Cap just because he, I don't want to say anything else, just in case people listening haven't seen this movie. Oh, gotcha. Okay, okay. But no, I think we're I think we're talking about Endgame. So, oh, you're talking about Infinity War. Excuse me. Yeah, excuse me. Infinity War. Who would you say is the protagonist in Infinity War? Let's think on that for a second. And this might be saying too much, but a protagonist is not always the good guy and it is Thanos yeah actually yeah simply because of the, the ending proves that like oh, he, how so okay so 
spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen this movie just yeah we'll announce spoilers at the beginning yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh basically because he told us his plan in the beginning and he achieved it and he did exactly what he wanted to do and even though he was destroyed and broken you kind of saw a smile on his face at the end it's a total reverse of what the general audience is used to but the antagonist kind of told his story achieved it and you know put everything to rest yeah we definitely see everything from his perspective from the beginning to the end uh he has this goal he has this stated goal and that's Mm -hmm. his quest that he goes on we see this very classic joseph campbell hero's journey but through thanos's eyes he starts off with one of these six gems we see him in the first scene getting the second one so we see like his methodology uh his determination and we and he tells us the audience what he's trying to accomplish and then throughout the movie each of the avengers is kind of like an obstacle for him or another villain for him to overcome from his perspective until he does finally get to the end he gets that sixth stone he finishes his his stated purpose and you see him satisfied so that's like a very very strong protagonist for the movie um a lot of the other avengers do go through growth and development throughout the movie but kind of in the background kind of as a b plot Mm -hmm. the fact that by i guess it really depends on the viewer themselves but by a point in the movie you're like I wouldn't say on Thanos' side, but you totally get what he's trying to do and almost and pretty much sympathize for him. Yeah. And that's what's cool about this villain. Like Marvel's track record with villains, however you feel about it, it can be hidden this, but when they have a good villain, like they nail it because you feel bad for them. You almost are rooting for them a little bit, like a anti-hero type. Yeah, Ivan Drago is a very good villain, a very compelling villain. It's because of Dolph Lundgren's performance. He says mm-hmm very little he says very few total words in this whole entire movie but his performance his reactions to things Dolph Lundgren does a lot of really good subtle acting that uh, I I don't think we could give him days and days of credit but it still wouldn't be enough praise Mm -hmm. for all of the work for how good he is and how good his performances are the crazy thing about Dolph Lundgren is first that performance almost parallels uh, Schwarzenegger and the Terminator like same thing they had very few lines they were only really selling their acting by their looks or the subtleties and movement things like that but they, they both nailed it the craziest thing about Dolph Lundgren though I don't know if you knew this he has a freaking master's degree in chemical engineering like, I've heard it's yeah. fucking insane how smart this man is yeah, I think I've I think I've heard. I don't know if this is verified, but I think I've heard he's like in the Mensa Society. Like he's one yeah, of he's he one of the top intellects of. Yeah, I forget the name time. of it, but there's like a there was a cultural exchange program uh, the U.S. was doing, and he got that. He's from Sweden, so he was able to get to MIT, man, and that's how he really got man, to the a states. True Renaissance man. Yeah, he he's like the, okay. This this is maybe going overboard, but like it, I when I honestly when I think of all of the things Dolph Lundgren has been and has achieved i watched universal soldier recently <laughs> yes that's honestly his, one of my favorite movies of his yeah yeah and man i was really impressed with his performance in that too and actually we are gonna talk about how that movie might be a prequel to rocky four um <laughs> <laughs> so even though it came almost 10 years later well it does start with the vietnam war and i'm jumping around way too much but <laughs> But Dolph Lundgren, when you think of like his his physique and top of that, he's also this incredible intellect. He's very much like what we would describe, what Greeks would have described their demigods as, you know, like Mm -hmm. these perfect beings that you can't even believe they can attain both apexes of human achievement. Right. You know, if you 
typically spend too much time developing your mind, your body suffers. And if you spend too much time developing your body, your mind suffers. Dolph Lundgren is a, is a genius bodybuilder. <laughs> how did, how did he do it? Um, so in this movie, he's kind of the perfect person to cast as Ivan Drago, because Drago is described by other people more yeah. than he describes himself or represents himself. He just kind of shows up where he's told to show up and he's puppeted by everybody that's in charge of him, in charge of his publicity. Um, his wife is, is, is like his biggest hype man. And then one of his coaches is kind of like the, the American Apollo Creed, or I'm sorry, the, the Russian Apollo Creed, who's like this fast talking, very quippy, very clever public speaker who's good at like twisting other people's words against them. I also noticed for the first time watching this movie how much they're playing this political game and, and the whole entire calling for an exhibition match is very much Russia trying to start something, in my opinion. Yeah. Right? They're like kind of like flexing their muscles and like, yeah, we're better than you. In everything. <laughs> yeah, it's very antagonistic yeah. while playing the like meek underdog, right? They, yeah. they, they do a good job of like putting this face on. Yeah, that's actually something I noticed with this is it, it's an underdog slash fish out of water story. I'll just a, a couple of elements reversed. Tell me more about that. So, you know, underdog, you always want the uh, little guy to win. And in this case, it's Rocky, but it's the fish out of water in reverse. So by the time he gets to um, Russia kind of where you're kind of touching on of Drago being the protagonist, the literal verse, like now Rocky's the villain, he's getting booed. And when Drago's name's announced, he gets cheered, he gets the Russian anthem. There's a freaking mural of him. Story elements you've seen before. And then actually to, I guess, slice alone's credit, like kind of tweak a little bit. And they're, yeah, they, they describe him a lot as in these robotic ways. They describe yeah. him as like more machine than man. He's not um, a man, he's a machine. Yeah, what is they? They're asking about his training, and one of the one of the journalists says, you know, what, why do you need all these contraptions or, or readouts or all this stuff? Like, you know, it, it doesn't seem organic. It doesn't seem natural. And the the hype man, the Russian hype man, says something like, "It makes a man a better man," and and they're 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 literally upgrading him throughout the movie, right? They're yeah. always, they're constantly, one thing I noticed when we got to the, the training montage is Rocky is pushing himself, right? His strength, his power, and he talks about this in all of the movies. He always has a yeah. great monologue about this. His strength comes from within. He's got heart. It's my yeah. heart. Yeah. Steven was just pounding his chest and I did the same exact thing <laughs> for you listeners who couldn't see it because that's what this movie does to you, man. It, it reminds you that like your heart is what drives you yeah, and yeah. what motivates you and what gets you up at four in the morning to go run through snow and chop wood <laughs> and punch well, meat. And the cool thing too, with the month with that is he, while showing it's his heart, they're also showing like he's doing the same exercises, but like old school DIY style. Yes. The high tech version of it that, that Drago is doing, he's not, I, okay. I'm not going to say that Drago is not motivated. And I'm not going to say that he's not, he doesn't have dedication, but he's being pushed by his trainers. They're literally raising the, the incline on, yep, the, on the treadmill for him. Point that scene. They're, mm -hmm. they're yelling at him to do more, right? It's not Rocky. Whenever we, we cut back to Rocky's training, Rocky's outpacing everybody. Like Duke's trying to, you know, tell him work harder, run, run faster. But like Duke's getting tired before Rocky's getting tired. You know, that's he's always Rocky's thing. He's having fun. He's that focused. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not until they have their, when they're in their final match, 
and Rocky hits him hard enough that he bleeds a little bit. That that's this big moment in the movie. And somebody literally says, he's not a, Duke says, he's not a machine, he's he's a a man. man. See, he's just a man. Just a man. Because man, so up until then, this is part of why we picked this movie to unpack through sci-fi. I really feel like Russia was building this this perfect warrior, this perfect fighter in the ring. I, I noticed for the first time watching this movie last night that he's captain. Ivan Drago. He shows up, oh. I mean, he shows up in a military uniform, but like right. Apollo also comes into the ring dressed as George Washington or, you know, wearing, wearing an American flag. So I didn't really think much yeah. of Drago showing up in that uniform other than it's like the WWE aspect of this whole mm-hmm. Rocky series like, where uh, it's a spectacle. A spectacle, a costume, but he's Captain Ivan Drago and he seems to have some sort of PTSD, some sort of trauma that activates when he's in the ring, causes him to feel like he's literally backed into a corner fighting for his life, and I think is what leads to him killing Apollo in the Mm -hmm. ring. But yeah, I I do think that he actually is a veteran, that he fought in some war, and that he has some sort of trauma, and that's Mm -hmm. why he's a captain. Uh, Thank you for pointing that out. I actually... I like now that you mentioned it. Yeah, he came out in the military uh, uniform, but I never put the two and two together. I have to like revisit this now. And this is probably how the team of people that got him to where he is to to the point where he's challenging the best American champion in the ring. Right? You can probably imagine somebody somebody in Russia in the eighties, especially in the military when they come out of service or maybe he was still in active service during the time of this movie, they don't really make that clear one way or another, but either way, they, it seems like the government basically told him, this is what you are going to do. We're going to train you. You're going to wake up every day. You're going to strap yourself to these machines and we're going to upgrade you to the perfect boxing machine. That's going to get in the ring and, and, and kill these Americans. And he just, whether he really wanted that or not was like, I will do this. I will break them. (laughs) I must break them. And then up until the point of fighting Rocky anyways, you know, it looks like the way Russia trained him was they never really challenged him. They were pushing him, but they never really challenged him. So when the fight scene's going on and you see Drago getting hits, it's almost like he doesn't know what to do because he's never Mm. experienced what it means to like have to fight back yeah and rocky talks granted, about that a lot granted it goes 12 rounds somehow <laughs> it's it's because he has the he does have the endurance and he does have the toughness but he doesn't have the heart so he's well, able to go 12 rounds he's able to last 12 rounds but he's not able to win because he doesn't have heart well he was showing inklings of it towards the end because you know he was the one yelling at all the superiors watching i fight for me i beat him for me he was showing inklings of that yes but but if you think about it up until that point in the movie drago is the he's the he's the national champion right he's doing all of this for mother russia mm-hmm. because because mother russia is telling him to and mm-hmm. pushing him out there to represent her we don't really get a sense of whether it's he's willing a willing participant in all of this or not until much later i think when when he does that bit at the end when he's like i fight for me 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 in 1985 in russia that's a revolutionary statement for him to face that crowd and say and say to them i don't do this for the country i am an individual Mm -hmm. i am one there's a okay there's a line in the movie ai 
when uh, Jude Law is getting absorbed up into, he's getting like pulled into this tractor beam away from yeah. Daniel or, and he sa- or David. And he says, uh, I am, I was. That's it. Like, and it's so simple, but coming from a robot, it's revolutionary. That's so much, yeah. So <laughs> I've talked around this quite a bit. Is, <laughs> uh, But I want to know your opinion. I think my opinion is very apparent from the way I've been describing it. I want to know your opinion. <laughs> Is Ivan Drago a robot? I think he is an enhanced human, but not full robot. Then let's talk about robots in general for a minute. Sure. Stephen, do you draw a distinction between a robot, an android, and a cyborg? Yes. Like while there are a couple of those have robotic parts, a robot is a full-on entity that has its own, like, I, I guess you could say it's got to be an AI really for it to be a full-on like T-800 style robot, if you will, or an AI. Okay. Um, with cyborgs and bionics, it's metal with skin. So it is still robotic, but it's ultimately still controlled by a, like a human with their own thoughts. Okay. Would you call Ivan Drago a cyborg? He could be. Can't rule it out. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm still going with like, like bionics or something just because it plays with the whole rush of building this. But yeah, it could be a cyborg that is totally like they figured out fake skin in Terminator <laughs> style. Yeah, I, I could see him being a cyborg, specifically with the scene of him measuring the PSI of his punches. Right. And they say the average is like 700 and he not only doubles that, but like yeah. he, he punches like one and a half times the yeah. 150% more, yeah, which like should be impossible, something. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I can see him being a cyborg. And have you seen? You've seen Universal Soldier, correct? One hundred percent. And right. Sequels. So here's how that movie could be a prequel for Rocky Four, <laughs> right? The colonel in that movie collects uh, Vietnam soldiers, uh, dead soldiers from the Vietnam War, puts them literally on ice, does some kind of science, injects some, some sort of thing into the back of their head, some kind of serum wipes. Yeah, and now they have this like overheating thing where they. <laughs> You know, they they run for too long and they have to be cooled down, but they can literally heal themselves with cold. So, okay. So so they build this robot. It fights Jean-Claude Van Damme. Spoilers for Universal Soldier, by the way, but you should have listened to my episode where we covered that already. Of course, Jean-Claude Van Damme wins, right? The Dolph Lundgren Universal Soldier is the villain in that movie because it goes haywire. It it has Mm. still has a lot of trauma from the Vietnam War. And it goes haywire, it, it goes against its programming, tries to take over. But, uh, Van, Van Damme stops it. Now, there are sequels to Universal Soldier. The Dolph Lundgren character, I, don't, I, I, I actually haven't seen them, so I don't know how they reconstruct him, but they do bring him back, which stands to reason that they could have either brought him back in Russia or they could have built a, a copy of him, a clone of him, in Russia. So if Russia got their hands on one of these Unisols, one of these Universal Soldiers, that looked like Dolph Lundgren in every way. They could have definitely programmed it to box, right? They could have taught it everything it needs to know about uh, Russian nationalism. <laughs> and that could be the Ivan Drago that we see in this movie. It's actually a unisol. Here's the thing. I can't, I can't disagree with that. It is a sound argument and I can't unhear it. I can't unsee it. And they, the, the unisols fix themselves when they get injured by exposing themselves to the cold Right? What where's colder than Siberia? We're in Russia, yeah. <laughs> and so, plus if, if it's a, a, a Russian nationalistic movie, if you will, they're only showing the training that people want to see have them seen anyways. 
they're never going to yep. show in healing. So Rocky, Rocky four is universal soldier seven. Uh, you heard it right here on robots versus dinosaurs <laughs> It is confirmed. Okay. But besides Ivan Drago, Ivan Drago, Ivan Drago, I, I, man, I, I feel like I I'm not the only one pronouncing his name seven different ways. I feel like the movie does too. What's your pronunciation <laughs> I, of his name? I think it's the accurate pronouncement is Ivan, but I you know, I think so. It's become bastardized. It just become Ivan. Yeah, I think whatever way his wife pronounces it, that's probably right. the correct way. And I think she says Ivan. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think it's Ivan that, that's the Russian pronouncing. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's the most Russian sounding. So let's go, <laughs> Ivan Drago. <laughs> exactly. That's part um, of why I go with it. <laughs> so besides Ivan Drago, who is uh, almost definitely a cyborg, <laughs> almost definitely a unisol, there's another robot in this uh, movie, Stephen, and I would love for you to tell us about the other robot in Rocky IV. There is an actual other robot. So the robot's name in the movie is Sicko. That's spelled S-I-C-O. Wait, that's uh, its name. Yeah, because I was listening for a name the whole time, but that's actually its name. I thought like that was it's, just. It's oh, called Sicko. Man. They never mention it, but like the that's reason I was able to find that is so that robot was created and voiced by the CEO of Robotic International Robotics Inc. Robert something or other. How that robot even got into the movie in the first friggin' place? So one of uh, Sly Stallone's kids is autistic, and he had heard that kids actually with autism actually really respond well to like robots or something like that. So the CEO loaned it to Sly Stallone to see if it would work. It worked like very well, and kind of as like a thing for his kid, he wrote the robot into the movie. Yo, okay, this is blowing my mind. This is amazing <laughs> to learn this. Yeah, man, that's what I mean. Like when I knew when we were talking about this movie, I was like, let me find out as much about this robot as I can. The cool thing too is if you want today, there's an offshoot of uh, International Robotics Inc. that builds this robot, like a modern version of this robot. It's $345,000. Okay. Okay, <laughs> Steven, I, I already love this robot. I'm not going to lie. When, um, when I was watching the movie, I, I paused the second it came on screen because it was five minutes and 11 seconds into the movie. Dude. And I was like, they're bringing this robot in right away. This is That's fantastic. what makes it so freaking kind of off and odd is because you have the intro with uh, Apollo and Rocky. He's talking shit, whatever. Yep. And then it's like a hard pivot into this like family birthday scene and they're introducing a robot. <laughs> and the robot is, it doesn't just fade into the background. It, its presence <laughs> is known like, in other scenes. Yeah, and especially like the whole montage of introducing the freaking robot, like to the point where it was lampooned by Family Guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, my favorite is when Apollo is over and you just hear the music slowly uh -huh. fading in because it's rolling closer and closer. And Apollo, <laughs> it, like the audience, I think he just says, what the hell is that? Well, I'm sure um, you maybe uh, we're going to talk about this, but it's possible that, you know, this is kind of like a proto-her or a proto-sex yes. bot. Uh, yes, it, yes, both. I think it's both. <laughs> uh, I do think Polly is is having sex with this robot. Oh, 100%. <laughs> that's a question. At least, at least by by the time that second appearance of the robot and he's changed the voice and everything, without yeah. a doubt. By the time it's it's uh, nagging him about packing his toothbrush because he knows tobacco stains his teeth. I've told you once. I've told you a million times. It, it's <laughs> gosh, it's it's wild. And 
Stephen, I I was I mean I was gonna say a lot of nice things about this robot already, but I do want to say like knowing how now knowing what you just told me about how it ended up in this movie, I do think that is beautiful. And I'm going to be very careful not to make fun of this robot or the decision to put this robot well, in the movie because it's, it seems like it's a really good purpose, a really good reason. But here's the other part. We, we just we talked about how Slidestone uh, wrote and directed this and the other a couple of the other movies. So he's doing a director's cut for Rocky IV, supposedly, for the 35th yeah. anniversary. And he's cutting the entire robot out. It's a mistake. Because he's mistake. like, yeah, I don't like the robot anymore. <laughs> that's like he said on Twitter. That's all he said about it. It's so. a big mistake. And let me talk about why. Because yeah. this robot is important to this movie, Stephen. I, I can't understate this. <laughs> I before, think I know where you're going to go, but I got to hear it. Well, before before I before I give you all of my thoughts about the significance of Sicko in Rocky IV and why it's the most important character, um, <laughs> I want to ask you because I, I didn't ask this up front. I oh well, I did. I did ask your definition of whether you distinguish between like an android or a cyborg. But what is your what is your one sentence definition of what a robot is? A mechanical being with pre-programmed thoughts and motions and movement. Okay. Okay. When somebody says robot offhand, or you, you close your eyes and, and picture a robot, what do you see? Or what do you hear? Like, what's your most iconic robot image? This is so dating me. But with the Nintendo, there's this robot that came, you can buy it as part of a game. I forgot the name of this robot, but it's the Rob one that 64? I see. Yep. Rob with the big old eyes, like Wally with the clippers, like that's always been one of my first images of a robot and probably why I'm into robots from such a young age. That is a cool robot. It's uh, one of the characters in Smash Bros. Yeah, he is. That's right. Yeah, R.O.B. He, um, so I, mis- I was mistaken. He wasn't Rob 64. Rob 64 was in the Star Fox game. Uh, <laughs> he's meant to be like an evolution of the R.O.B. Rob Nintendo okay. robot that you're describing. Uh, um, which would make sense. But yeah. but yeah, like that's the fir- one of the first images of robots that comes in my head. That's a good one. That's an iconic robot design. There's a couple of things about it that I think make it super iconic. What One thing I love seeing in robots is like, it's cool to see a bipedal robot. It's cool to see a robot like an AI, uh, which I would I would describe more as like an android. When a robot is meant to look and, and convince you that it's human, to okay. me, that's what an android is. But when it's like this and it has non-human legs or some kind of like weirdly articulated claw arms that can grab things in a different way than human hands can, or it's locomotion is, you know, it's on tracks or wheels instead of legs. So it's movement is different from a human's. I like those designs of robots, I think, more than the bipedal Android designs because I don't want to be tricked by a robot. I want, you know, yeah, I want like a robot it, to, to look like a robot and, and like act like a robot. I mean, if you've seen Ex Machina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be tricked by robot. I don't yep. want an android. To, I don't want to like fall for an android and not realize that I didn't play it the whole time. Steven, if you, do that already. if you found out that somebody in your life was a robot, like if they were like, hey, Steven, uh, you know, you always, you always compliment me on how young I look. And I need to tell you, there's a reason why. It's because I was built in a factory, and uh, this whole time, this whole this the, these two decades that we've been friends, I've just ne- never been able to tell you. But now I'm not afraid to tell you, I'm a robot. 
would you be upset or would you say like, well, we have 20 years of friendship? I'm not, I'm not even going to lie. I would just like start asking questions. I wouldn't even have gotten to the point of thinking about the implications of the fact that this person's a robot. I would be like, so for the past 20 years, you're a robot. How do you sustain yourself? Do you have to recharge? <laughs> I would like start going into this tirade of questions. Okay. Honestly. After your questions, would you <laughs> still want to be friends with the robot? Like if it, if, if it was like, hey, you can ask me whatever you want. And then afterwards, it's like, you know, hey, man, I've, I've, I've got tickets to uh, the Knicks game if you want to go on Friday. Honestly, yeah, I, I'd say I, I'd still be weary, but I would definitely be like, yeah, let's continue this friendship. I haven't seen an issue with it. And so you try to kill me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I would prefer a robot to be upfront with me about being a robot, but mm-hmm. I think I could handle finding out that somebody I know is a robot. Yeah. Stephen, what if you found out that you're a robot? If I found that I'm a robot, I'm pretty sure my head would actually explode. <laughs> but yeah, if that's not an option, being a teenager, you go through this as a human, anyways. If I found that I'm a robot, I think there would be a second version of that. Who am I? Why am I here? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. It would definitely change things. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about really quickly because they don't appear in this movie, but I do want to ask every guest, what's your definition of a dinosaur? And kind of the same question when you close your eyes and picture a dinosaur or if somebody's talking about dinosaurs in an abstract way, uh, what's the image that, that pops up? Again, it's going with the first thing I think of, and a lot of it is from my childhood. Denver, the last dinosaur. Freaking like Brachiosaur or um, Brontosaurus. I don't know which one it was. I think, yeah, I think he was like a skateboarding, like sunglasses mm-hmm. wearing, like dinosaur with attitude, right? Denver, the last dinosaur. He's yeah. our friend and a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. Is that how the Yes, I, I remember so. Denver. Yeah, oh, yeah. man. Yeah. I didn't remember him until he, until he started singing that, and I'm like... <laughs> No, he was like a skateboarder. He was, I'm not just assigning that to something else, right? That was No, no, no. He, he was like this, he was a dinosaur, but it was almost like a Ninja Turtle style. Like he was talking yes. and cool with humans in his cartoon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He was from the Labray Tar Pits, I think. They like found him or he escaped something like from that. the Labray Tar Pits or something like yeah. that. And he hung out with like the Burger King kids, basically. Yeah, like, he was like that actually. LA surfer dude, bro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that, it was that group of kids that's in every 90s cartoon, you know, like one of one of them's like the teenage blonde, like classic American kid. Uh, yeah. One of them's from like South America. Like, it, and yeah, basically the, the Planeteers. Um. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like Captain Planet. <laughs> It was just, yeah, the 90s always had this group of four kids or five kids, like, you know, and they, each of them always wore the same color T-shirt. So you would know which so one. So could identify them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, that's crazy. Okay, so so you're more of a robo fan than a dino fan. How come? What, what, what makes robots cooler? Honestly, I've always leaned into sci-fi more than fantasy. It's not that I didn't get into Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, but I definitely got into that stuff well after Terminator and Battlestar Galactica and the Cylons and all these things. I think it's part of the thing that I, I've always been attracted to things that are like not normal or different, or as well as like technology things so when those two things combined i just lean into that stuff hard well said i think i think that is one of the most fun things about sci-fi is when you see something otherworldly or that's hard to picture on your own so sci-fi usually gives you some kind of cool artist interpretation of something from tangible the past at that point or something from like the far distant future that that's only speculative yeah steven if rocky balboa fought a dinosaur 
in the ring. <laughs> do you think there, there's any, do, like, let's say it was a T-Rex. Do you okay. think there Rocky Balboa could win? I mean, yes. It's not that he wouldn't be injured, but I think he would win. How come? He has the heart. Yeah. Also, he has longer arms. He does have longer arms. That's a, that's a very important factor in a boxing match. <laughs> and, you know, the, it, honestly, the second that the T-Rex starts using its teeth, it's going to get disqualified. So Rocky will guess, win one way or another. But I guess if that's true, then he would have to turn around to whip its tail. So Rocky maybe not be able to hit his head as easily. Yeah. I'm mm. uh, trying to look up what is the size of a T-Rex's heart. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you went there because that's what I was thinking too. And we, uh, we only have speculation, of course, because mm-hmm. you know, we, we can never find a fossilized organ that's going to give us enough information. You know, like We mm-hmm. can find them, but they're going to be in, in a state of decay. So it's inconclusive. But I, I'm... <laughs> I'm going to put my money on Rocky. No, no, that's what I mean, man. Like T-Rex is, yeah, T-Rex is scary, but Rocky will find a way to pull through no matter how screwed up or damaged he is, as he does. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So when we see Sicko, is it spelled like S-I-C-K-O? Like S-I-C-O. S-I-C-O. I I think it's an acronym, but I I haven't been able to find it, like a meaning. Let's look that up real quick, because I want to know a little bit more. Synthetic something something organism. (laughs) International. Oh, okay. It's pronounced CECO. Yeah. And it's the the world's finest programmable and remotely controllable robot. This is from internationalrobotics.com. Yep. That's the company that makes it. And they haven't really changed the design of that robot. Oh man. Yeah. This is a, this is a, a, an article about how they're removing it from Rocky four, which man, that is such a bummer. Okay. Let's, Uh let's really talk about why Sicko is so important. (laughs) I can't, I can't find what the acronym is, but well, Sicko, why Sicko is so important. Stephen, let's talk about why Sicko is such an important character. (laughs) I don't know what the acronym is, but maybe a listener will write into the show, uh, robosvdinos at gmail.com and give us the answer to that. Or you can leave a comment on the website or our discord channel. Now, Seiko. When Seiko enters, like I said, it's five minutes into the movie. We were talking about what's the opening shot of this movie. Technically, it is a close-up, some sort of like CG rendering of silver gloves, one with the American flag, one with the the communist uh, red flag on it, meeting in the middle, boom. And that's technically the opening of the movie with Eye of the Tiger pumping us up in the background. But then we cut to footage of Rocky Three, Clubber Lang, going head to head with Rocky. We see Rocky finally winning that fight. And then we get into what I would argue is actually the beginning of this movie because we've, we've gotten, um, almost every Rocky movie actually does this where it starts with a brief recap of what happened last time, where are we right now? Typically they actually start like the moment after the last movie, right? Yeah, it's like a cold open like on a SNL or something that's catching everybody up. Yeah. Because, you know, you didn't, it was pre-internet, so... Good point. Very good point. Because, yeah, there were years in between these movies and you wouldn't have... We were talking about how, like, it, it, back then it was an event when your friend had a me- of digital media... I'm sorry, a physical media copy of a movie. It was kind of an event to go over and watch it. Not every audience going to see Rocky Four would remember everything that happened in the first three as fresh or vivid. So the movie has a couple of moments, and the beginning is one of them, where it kind of gives you a little bit of a montage, a little bit of a recap of the things that Rocky has done so far, the obstacles he's overcome, 
the titans that he's beaten in the ring so far. Um, in the Mike Tyson's punch out version of this, it's, you know, each of the contenders that he's gone up against to get to the point where he's the world champion, the heavyweight champion. So I would say when he's sparring with Clubber Lang, that's still sort of a recap. So the very first actual shot of the, this story in Rocky IV is Rocky training with Apollo. Would you say that, do you think there's an argument that Apollo is the protagonist of this movie? Or is it definitely Rocky? I think it's Rocky only because it's set up so that Rocky has a reason to fight. Yeah. And, and also on the other side of that coin, Apollo actually doesn't really learn. Apollo doesn't grow or develop as a character and it's his downfall. He mm-hmm. he actually says something that's kind of ominous in this fight against Rocky when they're, um, you know, they're like poking and joking with each other again in the ring and they're mm-hmm. like age before beauty and mm-hmm. like, they, you know, they like hold the, the rope over, mm-hmm. over. Ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Apollo says, remember, you fight great, but I'm a great fighter. Mm. And I thought about those words later on when Apollo shows up and up until this fight against Drago, he's been he's been talking to the press. He's been making those pre-fight appearances, talking trash, really literally punching down because he is this experienced veteran boxer. And what Russia is asking him for is an exhibition match just to prove to the world that they should be allowed to compete on the same stage or be considered in the same conversation when people talk about like the greats of this sport. And Apollo is treating this all like a show. And he's putting on, he's not only, he's not only going to kick this dude's ass, he's going to showboat and dance around and like make a mockery of him before doing it. I mean, James Brown opened the, the, the friggin' fight entrances, so yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Drago on, on the actual ring and it's a friggin' elevator rising up. It's yeah. a whole thing, yeah. And in my opinion, that makes him not a great fighter. He's nah. So what he says to, to Rocky is kind of, it's almost like it's true the other way around. Rocky, Apollo may fight great. You know, he, he, he did fight great uh, when he was in his prime, when he was the champion, but right. he can't accept that he's past that prime. So mm-hmm. that makes him not a great fighter. Rocky still has it. Rocky is still younger than him. And Rocky is still like on top and at his peak physical form. Rocky knows when it's too much or when it's too dangerous. And Rocky knows when it's not worth it. So that to me is what makes him a great fighter. Mm-hmm. And funny aside, like watching this movie and what you just said kind of confirms it for me. Basically, the plot was used, reused in Kickboxer. Oh, I'm less familiar with Kickboxer. Tell us about that. Uh, it's a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. It's one of his breakout roles. He's the younger brother of a kickboxing champion. And hey. they're going, he's the best in the U.S. He's fought everyone and won and retained his title. And so he finds out, oh, there's kickboxing in thailand and muay thai is very different than like american kickboxing but he wants to prove he's the best so he goes over and basically the ivan drago of thailand kills him actually yeah he kills or no he doesn't kill him he paralyzes him he breaks his back so that's one difference but it's the same thing of the younger one that is maybe not as experienced but has the heart and the drive and the understanding of everything to actually beat this guy is that the movie with uh, Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds is one of the fighters in Thailand? And, like, Yes. No, that's Bloodsport. That's Bloodsport. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Which is honestly, I think that was only a year before or after Kickboxer, but it was pretty much 
the same time. Got it. Okay. Okay. It's not, yeah. I feel like you definitely described the plot of several movies from, that, from that's that. That's the thing. Era. And that was the extension of that is that's the first movie I remember tying it to. But then it's like, this is a pretty heavily used plot in a lot of like 80s fight or uh, action movies. Well, a, a Rocky movie is almost a genre itself. Yeah. As a filmmaker, I think you might you might have some thoughts on this too. When I went, went through film school in New York, I, I was taught in, by one of my film teachers, something that I've never forgotten. He had us watch The King's Speech and he asked us, what kind of movie was this afterwards? And most of the answers, mine included, were like, oh yeah, it was like a, a period drama. It was a, you know, it was a, a, a movie about the royal family and, you know, a history piece. And, and he was like, yeah, no, those are all valid. This was a Rocky movie, though. Yeah, it was an underdog overcoming this. Everybody thought they could never happen. He wanted to prove everybody wrong and became what he became. But I agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, it, it, and and nobody does this this genre better than Sylvester Stallone, of course. But that's that's such a a big thing in our culture that he really tapped into back in the seventies. That I think a lot of people still are almost surprised by when they discover it. The joy of rooting for the lesser likely opponent or the lesser likely candidate when they win, their victory means more. Then, if you, you know, if you, if you, I, I'm unqualified to have this opinion, but let's say you're like a Yankees fan, right? Okay. And the Yankees constantly win the World Series. At some point, it's like, yeah, it's cool to still be a Yankees fan. But if you're cheering for the other team and then they win, if, to me, it just, it, it's more fun. It's more of a, of a surprise when the team that you're expecting to lose wins. It's the Mighty Ducks, right? It's, yeah, it's yeah. that whole idea that like... The longest wow, mile, the longest they're, they're, they're like, they're really fighting for this. They want this. I can't, you know, I don't want them to win, but I can't say I'm not impressed and I, I have less respect for this team or whatever. Uh, yeah, that same idea. Because yeah. that's pretty much what happened in the movie. By the end... They were cheering Rocky's name. Yeah, and it's not it's not the artificial machine bot, the boxer bot that's built by a country to represent it and represent its strength, endurance, willpower. This is somebody who has a personal journey, a personal mission. He has the support of Adrian, who has just been by his side since the beginning and has been his reason for moving forward in life. And Drago... Drago has a, a loving wife yeah. uh, in this movie that, that like is his number one fan, his number one, believes in him more than anybody. When she's ringside, I noticed mm-hmm. like even when the crowd is booing, she's cheering for him. Uh-huh. But it's still kind of lonely for him from his perspective. It's still kind of lonely because she is kind of the only one in his life that I think truly loves him and truly supports him. I think everybody else just sees him as, well, what does he represent as an extension of me or as an extension of Russia? Exactly, exactly. The whole speech that Rocky gives at the end about change, like you were just talking about why Rocky was able to beat Dragos because he had the foresight to understand and accept he has to change his way of thought and thinking and to be able to reach down deep inside and beat this guy. But then, you know, it becomes a super political statement. I came here and I had thoughts about you. If you had thoughts about me, I didn't like you none <laughs> and you didn't like me none either. But during the fight, you know, like I can change, yep. you can change, we can all change. Oh yeah, I love I love this bit because Rocky wins the Cold War single-handedly. He ends the Cold War peacefully with this speech and and it's these two lines that I wrote down. In here two guys killing uh, in here you saw two guys killing each other, but I guess that's better than 20 million. If I can change, if you can change, 
everybody could change. <laughs> and then, and then, it, and then we did. And then America and Russia, we changed, and we disarmed all of our our nuclear weapons. And and the Cuban Missile Crisis ended. And it was all thanks to Rocky Balboa. And now we have just had enduring peace since then, right? Right, Stephen? Absolutely. You know, there's no inkling of a second Cold War or anything like that <laughs> that's going to happen between the U.S. and Russia these days. Yeah. Stephen, are you familiar with the movie War Games? I actually just saw that a couple months ago, yeah. Or rewatched it, I should say. Talk to me a little bit about War Games and where it sort of fits in with with what this movie was talking about uh, so i'd say it's a similar idea of i guess is it an ai or just a computer oh that's a good question i i think it's Program. like i think it's like a chat bot almost isn't it like an auto response kind of chat bot yeah but i think yeah because i if i remember correctly it leaned into hinting at ai without really having ai in like the uh thoughts of people in the 80s you know what i mean yeah, definitely um, tapped into like that fear of technology. Yeah, but that was the whole thing too. Uh, it was a simulator, and then it eventually led to almost a World War Three, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yep. like there it was going to launch nukes, and that was the whole point of the program. But then Matthew Broderick's character was the only one that could really understand it and figure out how to beat it. I think it was. Yeah, it's almost the equivalent of like a couple years ago when apparently some technician clicked on the wrong thing in a drop down menu and then everyone in Hawaii thought that nuclear missiles were flying through the air uh, and that the whole island was going to be nuked. What? Yeah, I'm I'm going to because that's a wild thing for me to just like talk about <laughs> that aspect of it. I'm going to I'm going to look up an actual article and link it in the show notes, but yeah, it's a thing that's that happened. Crazy. Um, yep, and that's we, literally that movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It's 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 terrifying how close we've come to all-out nuclear war in this world, just from misunderstandings, just from just from hiccups in technology, just from like small little user errors. It's crazy. This is why I think it's a mistake to take Seiko out of the movie, right? Seiko represents this, a a couple of our fears that we project onto robots when we put them in sci-fi movies. Throughout this movie, Apollo is talking about, he's past his prime, but he won't accept it. Um, He says to Rocky, well, we can't be born again, you know, and and that's his justification for going back into the ring when Adrian's telling him not to, when Rocky's telling him not to, I think even Duke is telling him not to. And you know, they're telling him how dangerous this is going to be and he won't listen. And there's even a moment in the ring where it seems like he knows he's going to die or he knows he mm-hmm. could die realistically. And he tells Rocky, like, I'm, this is what I'm doing. And if this is how I die, this is how I lived. So I want to die this way. And I guess you could, from his perspective, argue that he has a warrior's death and that's what makes yeah. him a fighter, a warrior. They act, mm-hmm. Him and Rocky have this whole conversation about that, which is very epic. Well, he even brings it up when that one of the conversations with uh, Adrian, I'm a fighter. You married me. You knew that I was, you can't change me. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's what you married. I'm a fighter, which, Oh my God, we, we are, we're also going to go a little bit more into Rocky and Adrian because they're like my favorite movie married couple. But this is like Apollo's fear. Rocky sees it and, and accepts it. Uh, bef- much longer before Apollo does, he he tries to tell him like, oh, this is such a great speech when he when he says, you know, maybe this fight. I was thinking, you know, maybe this isn't really you against Drago. It, it seems like it's you against you. Maybe it's you against you. And that line actually literally comes up in uh, the song "Burning Heart" that plays later on no during shit. the montage. 
I think the line is something like, it's the paradox that moves us all, you against you. Dude, can I point out that there are five or four montages in this movie? And they're like not short montages. They're like a minute, two minutes long. They're like mm-hmm. long montages. <laughs> yeah, and they're but they're all fantastic. They're, the, yeah. The one when, uh, when he has that argument with Adrian and then he just gets in his car and drives <laughs> and like remembers the first four Rocky movie, the first three Rocky He's, movies. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna drive That's a off. great montage. I think the purpose of that particular montage was the thing we talked about where, yeah, you might not, you might, it might be a while since you've seen those first three movies. So here's a slideshow of the opponents Rocky has defeated so far. Yeah, as well as for the purposes of when that was in the movie of showing like, yeah, and she was there the whole time, dude. You can't, you can't forget about Adrian. Like she was there for every, for you the entire time, but so was Apollo and that's why you're grieving. Da, 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 da. So it kind of yep. did double their duty so so this robot seiko kind of represents immortality in a way right and (laughs) when 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 apollo's talking about we can't be born again we're the ones that that when there's a fight we get in the fight because we're warriors right he laments the fact that we have to get old he wishes i think that he could just i think if you gave apollo creed the choice to have his consciousness transferred into a robot body and they built like this perfect robot boxer body that was always in its prime like always 25 years old or whatever and never aged never got weaker i think he would do it without uh, i agree because from what we know about the character especially in this movie in particular it fits his mentality mm-hmm. like like we were talking earlier it's only because he's physically gotten older his, he can't move as fast and he can't keep up but if he had a way to do that he would do it in a heartbeat i think i agree yeah have, have you seen tammy and the t-rex not in a long time <laughs> Okay, I, I don't want to spoil that movie then. We we do cover it on a previous episode. And there's a character, Dr. Wackenstein. It's very much obviously Dr. Frankenstein. And his goal is transferring the, the minds of humans into robot bodies. <laughs> so if that character was able to offer that to Apollo Creed, <laughs> I think he would take it. I'm not so sure if if Polly would want to be a robot though. Polly loves the robot, I think. Polly is convinced that the robot loves him. When when the robot enters and um, we first see it, it it has this this voice that you you said that its creator I think was the voice of it when it comes in and it's like happy yes. birthday Polly. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday Polly. Um, happy birthday Polly. Yeah, and it, it's very like stilted and weird and unnatural. And <laughs> Polly, 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 the ungrateful Polly, complains. I wanted a sports car for my birthday. You got me a walking <laughs> trash can. Like you're welcome, Polly. You freeloader. Who are you paying rent, Polly? Are you paying yeah. a dime in rent or anything at all? No, no. But anyway, um, Steve, <laughs> the. <laughs> Is the music that we hear whenever the robot enters the room and exits, is it always being played by the robot? Is that like part of its personality? Is that it's like just a walking stereo? It will, because it was has the ability to change songs, I wholeheartedly say yes. Like it has its own theme song or music to play when it enters. Yeah, 100%. Later when it comes back and it has a woman's voice. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> And it says, uh, 
Oh God. It's Polly. It's it, Oh, actually it, this is proof that it's playing the music. It, it comes in, it hands Polly a beer, which he pours into a champagne glass. He says, that's a good song. And she replies, cause at this point the robot is a, she it's gone from a genderless robot, which I forgot to ask you about robots and gender. Let's talk about that for a second. But yeah. it, at this point it's a, she, and she says, it's my favorite. You're the greatest seas sport. And Rocky is like, Yo, Paulie, who taught it to talk like that? His response is not, I taught it, or it just started talking like that. His response is, she loves me. Very, He says that very confidently. Yeah, he says yeah. that with a straight face. Mm-hmm. And he says that as though one day, after spending some time with the robot, it stopped talking like, happy birthday, Polly, And it started talking <laughs> like, you're the greatest. See you, sport. And he wasn't surprised. He wasn't, this didn't, this didn't un- make him unsettled in any way. His response to this was, oh, this robot loves me. Is that how you would react if a robot that you suddenly lived with evolved so quickly or developed no. a personality like that? Overnight? I'm far too, I'm far too logical for my own good. So I would Im- immediately question it. Like who programmed this? Who, who changed you? So then, okay. Did did Polly program it? Did Polly no. teach it to talk? No, no. Okay. And I think that's my next part. I actually think it's possible that somehow Rocky did. <gasps> oh, go. Let, let's hear this. I want to hear this theory. Well, only because, you know, all, all he does is like, who programmed him to talk that way? It wasn't who, like, what happened? It wasn't any other way other than the specific verbiage used. Who programmed that to talk this way? So I think he did it as a means of getting Polly to buy into the robot. I really do. Okay, so then later when we see it and they're packing the trunk for Polly's trip to Russia yeah. and it's like, be careful with the plaid ones. They belong to the boss. Polly, did you pack your toothbrush? You know how tobacco stains your teeth. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. <laughs> it's, it's this great, like the evolution of it from like, happy birthday, Polly, to I love you, Polly. I'll do anything for you, Polly, to like <laughs> nagging wife. <laughs> And then Polly's response at that point is, I'm going to have her wires tied when I get back. Like, <laughs> the, the <laughs> uh, like I'm going to have your wires tied. Like, what? <laughs> so your, your, your theory is that behind mm-hmm. the scenes, in between these scenes, Rocky is like going in with like a screwdriver and a keyboard and like programming the like next step in the relationship between yeah. Polly and, and Seiko. Like, if not Rocky, like, whoever they bought it from or got it from in the universe of the movie, because I don't think it changed overnight, but I do think it's being tailored towards Polly. Yeah. Interesting. So you don't think that it's becoming self-aware or that it's, like, actually falling in love with Polly? No, only because uh, we've already seen how simple-minded, if you will, Polly is. But maybe that's what it loves about him. Maybe maybe this this calculating machine, this this thing that was built to do tasks and and to constantly produce or serve it sees somebody like Polly who extols the virtues of lazy, of laziness you know he he, <laughs> he has coasted through life sitting on a couch with a, with an open beer and at this point by by doing almost nothing he lives in a mansion and he gets to relax and sit around all day. So, so if you're anal- if you're a robot and you're analyzing Polly, there, the, you would probably reach a conclusion where you're like, well, this man is a king among men. So <laughs> he's not doing anything and still being successful. Okay, I can't, I can't fully 
discredit that. No, I agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) What? Well, one one other question because this movie, I don't, I do think it's inconclusive whether the robot actually loves Polly. It's very much up open for interpretation. And this is one of the movies I think the the, or this is one of the things I think Rocky Four, the sci-fi movie, wants us, the audience, to be thinking about. You know, sci-fi is always very philosophical self-referential self uh, it makes us very existential and so the question of whether a robot can love it it explores that in rocky four but we don't get an answer the movie ai if you listen to our Mm -hmm. previous episode we talk a lot about the question at the beginning of that movie is not whether a robot can love but whether a robot can be loved truly Mm -hmm. by a human i would argue in this movie paulie truly loves the robot whether it's reciprocated whether it's an artificial program or not paulie feels love for the robot that i agree with that i can't um, mistake i really think he feels for the this is his partner that he's finally found his mm-hmm. forever or whatever his, he says specifically and the like i'm gonna have wires tied annoyance is is yeah. actually proof of that because paulie is the kind of friend that like makes fun of his friends you know 100 constantly like ribbing poking and joking like that kind of thing so but it's his fact form of feels, love yeah, exactly. The fact that he feels comfortable enough doing that with the robot is a sign of his love for it. Okay. Can a robot wish? Does a robot understand the concept of a wish? Are we talking current state of robotics or 80s robotics? Here's why I ask. Hmm. When, when we see the first iteration of Seiko, and it comes in with Polly's birthday cake, it says, please make a wish. And and Polly wishes, uh, I wish I wasn't in this nightmare. <laughs> so, okay, does the does the robot have any concept of when it's saying, please make a wish and blow out these candles? I'm assuming, based on everything we've talked about with this robot and its creator so far, it was probably just programmed to say that because it's sure. his birthday. But does it, does it could a robot really understand the abstract concept of a wish? And if so, what would a robot wish for? I mean, if we... If we buy into AI and knowing how that works and it's self-learning, I think if we follow the evolution of uh, Seiko itself, yeah, I think it can get to the point of it, of being able to understand and interpret what a wish is. Maybe not at first. What do you think it would wish for if somebody granted it a wish? If it truly understood the concept and logic of what a wish really is, I think it could be anywhere from as obvious as I want to be human or flesh to I, I want to know what it is to feel love or an emotion like a human does or something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like anytime cinematically we see a robot often, often in the eighties and nineties, the robot is actually like the protagonist or the protagonist's best friend. Mm-hmm. And what, what usually the robot's journey in a movie in a sci-fi movie is it's learning to become human or it wants to become human for some reason, or it wants to experience some kind of human experience because it never has been able to until it spends enough time with its human friend and learns from its human friend and vice versa. It's interesting that we project that onto robots, that that's what they would wish for, that they just want to be like us, that we, you know, we've already built them in our image, but all we can imagine is that if it were up to them, they would be even more like us. They'd want to lean into it and imitate us even more. And I think part of that is because that's just human nature of being a little bit of egotistical and narcissistic. We made it, so of course it wants to be us. When so, all it could actually want is feeling heat 
something as simple as that. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be tied to an emotion. So let's, let's talk about specific robots. Cause like there are robots that I would say, like if we granted them a wish, they have such a strong will and personality already that I don't think they would default to this human version of what we think a robot wishes for r2d2 for example what do you think r2d2 would wish for i interpret r2d2 as being like a very intelligent robot so Mm -hmm. possibly he would wish for getting away from (laughs) c3po maybe maybe you know r2d2 is capable of lying he's a spy and he's capable of lying disguise he a very, very self-aware, very intelligent robot. Mm-hmm. That's why I picked him as a as the first example. I can't imagine R2-D2 wanting to be more human-like. He actually, yeah. one of the reasons he resents C-3PO is probably because C-3PO He's- looks so much like a bipedal classic human form, mm-hmm. which he sees as limited, you know, rightly yeah. so. I know, I agree with that. <laughs> what do you think, if, if we were to grant the Mars rover a wish... What do you think the Mars rover would wish for? It's a thing. Like it could be what do what do other planets look like? You know, mm-hmm. what do I feel like? I'm in Mars. This is what it I feel like. What does it feel like on other planets? Can I it could also be what is space? Yeah. No different than human. How does it feel out there? What is it out there? See, I think I think that's an interesting way to think about it because if if we're always limiting it to, well, a robot would want to be like us. It serves us or it tries to make us happy. So if it had free will, all it would do with that is try to become human. But I think if we consider like, what are the limitations of this robot as it is? And the Mars rover, for example, like its limitations are it can only roll over solid dry ground and collect samples in its environment. So maybe it would it would be aware of that's the limits of my capability are to explore Mars. But what if I could explore a gas planet? What if I could roll around and collect samples on a gas planet? It might wish for something like that. Well, yeah, like if, if the point of AI is to be make this robot or this android be able to not only think freely, but learn at that point, you know, such as the discussion in AR, AI or even not AI, ex machina, what is the difference of a human and a robot if it has the ability to feel the same emotions and be able to deceive and lie and cheat? Being able to know your limitations, being self-aware, that's a very human thing, I'd say, you know? So I, I that's why I kind of put that twist on i think it would just want to know like what do my wheels feel like on different material or what does it feel like to float da, 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 da. yeah yeah i think that, yeah i agree with that i think that's if i was the mars rover that's probably what i'd spend <laughs> a lot of my time thinking about i do think it's cool it's worth stating since we're talking about the mars rover i never want to miss an opportunity to say this one of the coolest sentences that i can say that is a true statement is In my lifetime, I have seen, I've lived long enough to see a planet entirely inhabited by robots. Yeah. Actually, I never, never kind of thought about it that way. Yeah. So far, that's Mars. Yep. Until we discover whatever we're looking for and finding more evidence of it. Yeah. Doing doing all of the work of science right now. Or it's going to turn into Total Recall. Who knows? Maybe it will. But you know what? Maybe they'll do a better job than we did. So maybe (laughs) they deserve a planet. Um, (laughs) Steven, does Seiko do robots in general, but Seiko specifically believe in Santa Claus? I don't see why not. Or or a form of a make-believe thing. Okay. How old is Rocky's kid in this movie? Like, just based on, like, how he acts and and looks. Like, like, I didn't look this up. How old would you say this kid in the movie is? I think he's like maybe five or six. That's actually Sage Stallone. That's his kid, actual kid. Oh, very cool. Okay. Good, a good yeah. actor, good kid actor. 
Yeah. 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 He looked to be about like five or six. He acted like about five or six. So I think probably still at the age where he truly believes in Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. There's a scene when Rocky is fighting in Russia and they're watching it on TV and mm-hmm. it's him. And I, I, I'm assuming, like I don't know who friends. these other kids are, but they're brats yeah. and the bullies yeah. to him. They must be Paulie's kids, right? They must be like <laughs> cousins or something. Yeah. Because they're he's like, that's my dad. And they go, yeah, we know. We what do you know. think? We what are we, nerds? Nerds? <laughs> Whose awful kids are these? Some, like hot takes, Stephen. Some kids are awful. And these yeah. kids are what I would describe as some kids. Okay. <laughs> Somebody come get your kids. Well, maybe they're, they're they are. Paulie, come get like, your kids. What's what's the son's name in the movie? But maybe they are his friends. But yeah, they're like basically poly versions of his friends. Maybe he's in kindergarten. He just has asshole friends. I don't know. It's Rocky Jr. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, I think they might be just Rocky Jr.'s asshole friends. And if he takes from his father, that's the kind of friends he doesn't mind having around. Yeah, Rocky Balboa Jr. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely you know? like it is definitely the same friendship between Rocky Jr. and those two kids exactly. as like between Rocky and Pauly. So yeah, okay. I'm being I'm being harsh on these kids, but like I stand by my statement. Some kids are No, I, I'm not disagreeing <laughs> that kids can't be assholes because they they can and are. Yeah. <laughs> I I have five nieces and nephews and they are angels. They are wonderful kids. Let me just say that. Yeah. They're exceptional. They're perfect in every single way. They never misbehave. So <laughs> <laughs> So they're not some kids, these kids. The reason I'm talking about these kids in this scene yeah. is in the background behind them is Seiko just casually standing there with a yeah. Santa hat and white beard. <laughs> so does Seiko believe in Santa Claus or does Seiko understand the concept of Santa Claus to the point where he realizes that the child that lives in this house believes in this abstract concept and I need to be part of this adult club that's perpetuating this like fun game for this kid and that's why it dresses up at Santa Claus or did somebody just put a hat and beard on it? Uh, I think it's simpler. I think he was being a kid and was like, here, let's put a Santa cap and beard on on Seiko <laughs> and he's literally just hanging out just like not fully aware he has it on but just is there with it on so do you do you do you think one of the kids put it on do you think Adrian put this costume on him I think Rocky Jr. himself did okay you know what's interesting and for the past like two minutes and I'm not going to go back and re-edit this on purpose because I, I do want to actually talk about this mm-hmm. for the past like two minutes I've been saying did they put the beard on him did they put the hat on him so is a robot, does a robot have a gender when it's built? No, I don't no. think so. Like, I think it can be assigned by the creator and, or programmer, but inherently, no, I think they, there is no gender to a robot. Yeah, and usually, usually when the creator has like the intention for it to be gendered, right. um, it's, it's often seen in like the physical form of it. I would actually Correct, argue yeah. there's, a, there's a shot of this robot in, in my profile where I'm like, oh man, if you shined a really strong light on the front of this robot, it would make a weird silhouette that's almost feminine and mm. almost in a 1985 robot, blocky robot way, almost sexualized. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's usually the voice. Usually the voice is what gen, quote unquote genders a robot. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why, like, okay, so R2-D2 is R2-D2. There's really no, nothing about R2-D2's physical form or voice that you could say he or she. So right. just from your recall, do characters in Star Wars say R2-D2, he did it. Hey, that's him, R2-D2. 
I think they, I, I seem to remember them generating I think him as a he. That was that, but I think that was whether it was consciously or subconsciously, it just especially back then. Yeah, I think that uh, that was not necessarily to genderize. Is that a word? It is now. Genderize uh, R2 or C3PO. I think that's just how the state of the role was when we were discussing gender in the first place. Well, listen, I think genderize is actually, if it's not a word, then you just invented a <laughs> useful word because we we genderize robots. We genderize ourselves, to be Absolutely. honest. It's, it's something that's you know a big part of the social conversation right now, mm-hmm. as it should be, especially if we're going to be building robots and especially if we're going to have them be interacting with humans directly. If you think about a robot, that's built to live in a nursing home, you know, and, and take care of the elderly. Do you think that that creators of those types of robots or another example would be like a nanny bot, you know, like mm-hmm. something that's that lives in your home and it's there to like monitor your baby, maybe not directly interact with it yet mm-hmm. until we have the delicate technology for robots to do that, but like at least be some sort of protector, early warning system, you know, like a baby monitor that walks and talks and Mm -hmm. interacts with other parts of your house. So if we had a robot like that, my assumption is that the creators would naturally make it gendered, female, would want to have like this motherly quality, right? And this, you talking about this kind of had me start to think about like even the closest thing we have to AI or, or robotics that is widely used. So like, why did we name Siri Siri? Why did we name Alexa Alexa? Why are they female, even though we can change the names? And I think it's kind of that, that idea that everybody has a mother and uh, might be more comfortable with that subconsciously. True. And what's interesting about Siri, one one thing I want to believe about Siri is that it was chosen because it's a name that's not super common. So since they want it to be like voice activated, they went with a name that you wouldn't just accidentally say in conversation right. a bunch uh-huh. of times, um, which is why I actually, I question the choice to go with Alexa because Alexa is a, is pretty it's common, name. both male and female names. So it's a very common name in general. I should actually refer to it the way I want to refer to it, which is Alexa is a very non-gendered name yeah. Um, yeah. assigned to every gender. So anyway, I, I, I think that might be part of why it was called Siri. But also what's interesting is you can go into your settings and you can change Siri to either like have an Australian accent. Mine has an yeah. Australian accent or you can have it have a male Australian mm-hmm. accent or a male mm-hmm. English accent or whatever. Um, and I think, yeah, that taps into the heart of what we're discussing is when it really comes down to it and we get to the point, us as humans are going to try to make this as comfortable as possible. So we're going to inherently assign gender and inherently make it be one or the other. And at the same time, there are applications where it could be non non-gender at all. Do you have any sort of for audience preference when you're watching a sci-fi movie or anything with with intelligent robots or robots as as emotional characters in a movie? Do you have a, any sort of preference for whether they speak English or whether they like speak in beeps and boops and it needs to be translated? I don't really just depends on this is a filmmaker answer, but it depends on the suspension of disbelief that they've that director has gotten me to buy into. But my actual a real life answer is I think it's just going to be dependent on the programmer or the creator and how they chose it, either how they chose it to speak or how they chose to have what options there are that is customizable. Mm, okay. So Point where you I could think, hack it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? absolutely. That's, that's an interesting thing about robots is there's a point in technology. I think we usually refer to this as like the singularity 
Mm-hmm. When robots become beyond our control or they become self-aware or they've reached some sort of conclusion in their programming that that they would be better masters for themselves than we are of them. And that's a fear that we have. We, we don't want robots to get out of our control. So I think that actually kind of supports your theory that Seiko in Rocky IV is not a intelligent learning robot. It's not that advanced. It's not advanced enough to be a threat. There's actually, you know, now that I'm saying that out loud, it seems to be a threat to Sylvester Stallone because he feels it's completely necessary to go back and try to erase it from the timeline. Mm -hmm. So clearly it has established its presence enough to intimidate someone as powerful and strong as Sylvester Stallone so much Mm -hmm. that he needs to go back and like Steven Spielberg, uh, what Spielberg did to E.T., to to his movie. (laughs) And basically just modify it a little bit. Yeah, which, you know, at a 90-minute running time, like he's going to be cutting a couple of minutes of screen time from this. And like, it's not like the movie's too long. Mm -hmm. It's very, this is very robo-ist. What's the word for when you're like biased against robots? (laughs) Robo-ist, I'm going with that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's a very robo-ist decision. And I usually support Sylvester Stallone. I'm a big fan of Sylvester Stallone, but I just don't support this decision that he's making about Rocky IV. Yeah. No, there was like, that's one of the things I remember the most, for better or for worse, this robot is, the robot and the fight are the two things I remember about the movie before I rewatched it. On that note, it's not an understatement to say, when I, when I was describing this movie at the beginning as uh, Rocky IV is a sci-fi movie, would you um, would you say I was over-exaggerating or would you agree with that as a blanket statement? No, I think you hit it on the head. Like, obviously, it's not so obvious, I'd say, but once you start digging in a little bit, yeah, sci-fi movie, it has sci-fi elements. Yeah. It's just not it's front and center. It is a subplot. Would you say, in in conclusion, where this movie ranks in the pantheon of robots versus dinosaurs so far, um, with every movie we want to know from the guest that chooses the movie, whether this is a plus one or minus one for the thing that it represents. In this case, obviously robots. Is this a plus one or minus one for representation of robots? I'd say it's a plus one in context of when it was released. And if we're saying today, I could argue it might be a minus one, but in the context of when it came out and the time period it's representing, that's a plus one. I agree with the plus one. I think the there's an argument that could be made that this robot seemed to embarrass its not maybe not necessarily its creator, but its user enough mm-hmm. to the point where its its user decided to erase it from history. So mm-hmm. in my opinion, the robot is trying its hardest. It's doing yeah. its best and it's a plus yeah. one. But man, it's it kind of has has failed its intended programming, its mission, uh, <laughs> because so it it's getting written out. <laughs> it's getting a minus one from from Sylvester Stallone. But you and I yeah. give it a plus one. And that's what Robots yes. versus Dinosaur is giving Rocky for, Excellent. for its representation of robots. One last thing I want to say about the movie itself before I move on to, I have two bonus questions for you. But one last thing I want to get into, Rocky and Adrian's relationship. This is the least sci-fi element of the movie, but <laughs> uh, but man, I there's a moment when Rocky comes in, uh, I think it's right after Polly's birthday party, and he has this big cake and it has like him and Adrian on it with boxing gloves. And he gives it to her and she's like, well, you know, what's going on? It's, it's Wednesday. And he says, oh, I really want to get this right. Uh, it's definitely a Wednesday. But I was thinking, like, it's almost it's almost been nine years since you married me. And it's revealed yeah. that that it's a week before their anniversary. He just couldn't yep. wait 
to like celebrate their anniversary and give her like the gift and everything. But what, what, what made me want to write this down is her whole like, it's a Wednesday and him being like, yeah, it's definitely a Wednesday. Do you remember in Rocky one, there's this beautiful, beautiful moment between Rocky and Adrian. She invites him over for Thanksgiving dinner. And he says something like, well, you, to you, maybe it's, you know, holiday, but to me, it's just Thursday, right? So he's gone from, I do uh, remember that. It's just a Thursday. Like, I don't have anything in my life that makes Thanksgiving significant, more significant than any other Thursday. To she is saying in Rocky Four, well, it's just a Wednesday. What, you know, what's special about today? And, and his response is, oh, it's definitely a Wednesday, but next week it'll be nine years since, since you and I got married. And like, that's, that means so much to me. And it's so important to the story of Rocky that Adrian is as supportive as she is to him. It really can't be overstated how much that drives him in the ring. 100%. We're talking about how the fact that he wins every time is because he has heart. Adrian is the supplier of that. She's the source of that. She's, no pun intended, the heart of it. Yeah, so I think I think where we can really land with whether Seiko in this movie can actually truly love. I think this is how we can make this decision. Steven, let me ask you this. If Rocky was put in the ring and there's some scenario where he is, he has to defend Adrian, right? There's some situation where through a boxing match, he has to win this boxing match for Adrian to save her life. And simultaneously, his opponent, his opponent in the ring in this fight is Seiko, who's fighting for Pauly. (laughs) Who fights harder in this exhibition match? That's tough because if if we're talking about... The ability to a robot having the ability to love, and we're accepting that Polly and Zico love each other. Who's to say it's not as strong as what Adrian and Rocky has? But I do think we decided that the the love between Polly and Zico was more one way, and that okay, in that um, regard, then yeah. Also, it's Rocky. Like I think he could actually knock the robot's head off, literally. I think so. the 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 robot also it's on it's literally on like treads. It, it does it can't do much footwork. <laughs> yeah, like you we've seen. I think the fastest it can move when it came into the room. So yeah, yeah, and we, and we see Rocky dancing around the ring. We see him learning footwork from Apollo Creed. So I don't I don't think I don't think Seacoach stands a chance against the heavyweight champ. No, but that's to not to that, say. Yeah. That doesn't take away its plus one. This movie gets a plus one for robots because of Rocky and Adrian. It also gets a plus one for humans. All right. I can live with that. Yeah. From me. From me. I'll give it a plus yeah. one for, for humans. <laughs> okay. Steven, do you have any last thoughts about Rocky Four before I ask you our two bonus questions? I must break you. <laughs> I just wanted <laughs> to make dies. sure to say that out before at one point in this podcast. That's all. If he dies, yeah. he dies. <laughs> so good. It's such a good performance. Okay. Bonus question one. Steven, this is a section of Robots versus Dinosaurs called What's Your Snack? Steven, what's your snack? When you went to a movie theater before quarantine <laughs> kept us all away from movie theaters, what was your go-to snack? Did you bring something into the theater with you? And now that we're all stuck in at, at home and that's our only option for watching movies for the time being, actually, by mm-hmm. the time this episode is released, it's very hopeful that we might be going mm-hmm. back to theaters. But anyway, when you watch movies at home, is it any different from your go-to movie snack? Do you pop popcorn at home? What's your what's your snack? What's your snack? So to answer the home versus theater experience, popcorn has always been associated with both for me. So that's always there. But when I go when I would go out to the theaters, opposing thing like uh, balanced things, so like sweet, salty stuff like that. So I'd usually get popcorn and either bunch of crunch or sour patch kids or the chocolate chip cookie dough bites. 
Ooh, oh, okay. I don't think I've tried those. Yeah, so those I've had in the AMC theaters. So it's like this little cookie dough bites covered in chocolate. Yeah. Oh, man. That sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, at home, it's kind of just outside of popcorn, though. Whatever food is here, that's easy. Or leftovers okay. or something. It's because it's, it's there. Yeah, I'm I'm much more of like a candy snacker than a chocolate snacker. Oh, chocolate yeah. is candy, but like, you know what I mean? I hear, right? Like yeah. fruit-flavored yeah, yeah. candies, gummy candies. That's Ooh. my thing, I think. Yeah, like any particular ones? Yes. Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> but mm-hmm. a, a thing that I, I am a big fan of that I eat at home a lot because they don't really have this in movie theaters is Australian licorice. And I feel like I've talked about this on almost every episode so far. Australian <laughs> licorice. The face you're making is usually the face that my guest makes. I love talking about this because Australian licorice, it's not its not the taste of it. The taste is also better. They come in flavors like mango and green oh. apple and stuff like that. Okay. But it's the consistency. It's the texture. It's much chewier. The Australians are really good at making licorice for some reason. And it's way better, in my opinion. I like it more than Twizzlers. But Twizzlers are great, ask. but I think these are the perfection. It's This is what licorice should taste like. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big foodie guy, so I'm going to have to ask what brand should I look for? Because okay. I'm going to try to find this and try this. So I will tell you, do you live, what part of New York do you live in? Uh, I live uh, in uh, Heights, Washington Heights area. Okay. So the brand that I like is Daryl Lee. That's uh, D-A-R-R-E-L-L-L-E-A. Daryl Lee. They make like a mixed flavor one. They make like a, a mango flavored one. And I usually find them in in one of my like local bodegas in Queens. Okay. There's like this one vape shop that has yeah. that has Australian licorice. And I go in there every <laughs> once in a while and I'm like, hey, I'm just I'm just looking for candy. I'm just for today. The candy. <laughs> uh, just, <laughs> I got that Australian licorice. That's but man, funny. yeah, I you know what? I talk about this so much. I really hope Daryl Lee one day listens to my podcast and they're like, hey, we're going to just give you free licorice from now <laughs> Hey man, just keep mentioning them. You never know. Yeah, until then, I'm going to give them free advertising because honestly, wonderful. people should people that don't know about Australian licorice, you should know about it. It's delicious. It's wonderful. It's chewy. Well, it's worked on me, so I'm going to find this and try it and actually get back to you on awesome. what I think about it. Yeah. You know what I'm going to do for the first time for this episode? I'm going to link to uh, their, I'm going to just put their website in the link in the show notes and people can check it out. And then, yeah, and then Daryl Lee, if they want to, they can, they can at me and they can sponsor robots versus dinosaurs yeah. i do think though you should find a way somehow some way to always be able to fit in a plug for them in your sure. shows as sure you thing. yeah <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by <laughs> daryl lee australian licorice mm-hmm. let's put another licorice no 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 me doing an australian accent is not gonna <laughs> is not gonna help me get sponsorship from them let me i'm gonna edit that out okay <laughs> Okay. All right. Steven, I have one last bonus question for you. All righty. If we were to replace two of the actors in Rocky Four, any two actors, including the robot, including Seiko the robot, with Whoopi Goldberg and Danny DeVito, which two characters would you replace? And would this improve the movie? I will start in reverse. I can't say it would improve the movie, but it would make it that much more wildly entertaining if... In no preference, we replace Rocky Balbo and Yvonne Drago with Whoopi Goldberg and Danny DeVito. Yeah. I can't say it's going to make the movie better, but I can definitely say I would watch this movie. Yes, I kind of want, <laughs> I kind of want DeVito as Drago. And, and I want him to say the iconic lines the same yes. way. Yes, <laughs> I must break you. I must break you. 
<laughs> oh man, that was a good DeVito doing uh, doing Ivan Drago. That's really good. Uh, yes, Whoopi as Rocky would be fantastic, but Whoopi as Dolph Lundgren's hype man, the Russian hype man, I think would be <laughs> fantastic. I think she would do that well too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She would Just probably over oversell it in the best yeah. way possible. It makes a man a better man. Like, <laughs> the conclusion is clear. Whatever he hits, he destroys. I just, oh man, Whoopi Goldberg delivering those lines. Yeah. I'd pay to see that actually. <laughs> yeah. If we did cast one of them as the robot, what, which one would do you think would be best as the robot? See, I think I can make arguments for why both of them would be fine. But mm-hmm. just because I'm a little biased and a huge Always Sunny fan, I'm going to insert Danny DeVito. I think... Because Danny DeVito already is so much like a Polly that <laughs> <laughs> having Polly sparring with Danny DeVito would be delightful. Yeah. I think this is how it would actually go, though. I think in the first scene, we'd get Happy Birthday Polly, and that would be DeVito. And then when it gets upgraded to Sexy Robot, that would definitely be Whoopi Goldberg's Ooh, Sexy Robot voice. Ooh, a combined role. I, I think that could work. Yeah. Well, let's, let's uh, make sure we, in addition to Daryl Lee Licorice, let's make sure we get. DeVito and Goldberg's agent on the phone. Actually, yeah. we, we really want to talk to Stallone because this is how we might convince him to keep the robot in the movie. If we can get that Ooh. casting. Yeah, yeah. So somehow somebody send this to Sylvester Stallone, put it on his radar, have him do it. <laughs> yep. Hashtag save Seiko. I'm going to start that's, doing it. <laughs> that's right. Everybody tag that hashtag, put it on put it on all of your social media posts. We have to really get this campaign going. We got to save our robot friend <laughs> our robot movie star friend <laughs> steven i can't thank you enough for coming on robots versus dinosaurs and talking about one of the most fun 80s movies one of the most fun sci-fi movies <laughs> that has a robot from the 80s and such an iconic such an awesome such a memorable robot and, and it gave us a lot to talk about yeah. and a lot of interesting ways to look at rocky and the whole series of rocky through a unconventional lens do you have anything as a filmmaker that you want to promote plug talk about at this time because of the pandemic that's a hard no <laughs> well that's a lie guess i can plug with something i shot last year that i'm still making festival rounds i shot and helped shoot and helped edit a web series called friend zoned okay we won a couple of webfest awards already i think we have all the episodes up on our starable website so if you go to starable.com search friend zoned you'd be able to find us they're like little 10 minute or less episodes uh we're good we were supposed to be working on season two of the web series, but pandemic kind of put it to a halt. I am currently in pre-production of another web series, which doesn't have a title yet, but it's a combination of Zoom interviews and talking head interviews in person, a la The Office. So it's going to be a lot of improv-based comedy. It's going to be just the actors doing their thing. As I get more information, I'll send it to you. That sounds fun. Awesome. Yeah, and I, I know Steven as a very collaborative filmmaker, so if you get a chance to check out his work, definitely do that. And like I said, we're going to be putting a link to your web series Friend Zoned in the show notes so people can check that out. Thank you very much. And Stephen, hopefully, I don't think there are any any more robots in any of the other Rocky movies. I think that we've sort of exhausted our, all the possibilities I, I of think so. movies in the Rocky series that we could review on Robots versus Dinosaurs. But would you be interested in, in coming back sometime as a guest with another either robot movie or dinosaur movie, your choice? That's actually was going to be my last comment when before we hit 
stop recording. Yeah, I enjoyed this so much. I am more than willing to come back again and talk about another robot or even switch it up and talk about a dinosaur movie in the future, 100%. All right, can you give us like any sort of teaser or hint of what, do you have like a short list or? Part of me is trying to find, it's not necessarily obscure, but not obvious. Like I could definitely, you know, say, let's go, let's talk about Terminator. Let's talk about this, that movie or that movie. But I want to find the weird, or I want to find the obscure shit, so. Yeah, the obscure shit is usually where you find like the, the most thought-provoking sci-fi because it's mm-hmm. it's it's the least it has the least limitations or it's sorry the ones that are not trying so hard to have broad appeal so they get into some really nuanced deep exactly exactly so that's exciting I would love to have you on as a guest again please check out Friendzone please check out all of Steven's work and we will see you next time on Robots versus Dinosaurs later later later. It makes a man a better man.